Howdy, folks. Justice will be won. I'm Detective Dick Tracy. Well, I packed all my worldly goods in a cardboard suitcase. I went to Hollywood. Maglev Express Service to Mesa Verde leaves every 30 minutes. Okay, next, it is my great privilege to introduce a performer I've known for a long, long time. W. Hello and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World Information Station. This is show number 109 for the week of March 8th, 2009. I'm your host, Lou Mangello, bringing you the very best ways to enjoy and enhance your Walt Disney World vacation experience in a fun, family-friendly weekly show. We're going to start off this week with news from Walt Disney World, including dates for Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, changes coming to Downtown Disney, and some opinion questions for you to answer. I often try and cover topics on the show which are meant to not only inform, educate, and entertain you, but really try and help you get the most out of your Walt Disney World vacation, whether you travel alone, as a couple, with friends, or family. And this week, I'm joined by Chuck Lionberger as we want to explore... Disney pin trading, not as the phenomenon that it is, but something that you can do with your family and the experience before, during, and even after your trip to Walt Disney World. Another way I really enjoy helping you out with your vacation planning experience is by directly answering your emails. And this week, Becky Mankin joins me once again to talk about everything from taking babies to the parks, thrill rides that aren't a literal pain in the neck, the Premium Pass, Disney Books, Theme Park Music, and much, much more. I'll announce the winner and answers to last week's Walt Disney World Trivia Contest and test you with some more questions and a different type of bonus challenge as well this week. Stay tuned to the end of the show for some more announcements as well as some of your wonderful voicemails. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. This week's Walt Disney World news is going to start off with congratulations to everybody who just completed the inaugural Disney's Princess Half Marathon on Sunday, March 8th. Lisa Galvin from San Antonio, Texas won the inaugural event featuring more than 7,500 women runners from around the world. The more than 11,000 runners who participated in the weekend's events that included the Royal Family 5K and the Princess Kids Race made this one of the largest endurance event weekends focusing on women. The weekend also involved a health and wellness expo that included renowned fitness experts leading seminars on training, racing, and nutrition, and the latest running and fitness equipment as well. Participants and their guests also got to experience princess meet-and-greets, a makeover at the Bibbidi-Bobbidi Boutique, and a princess-themed after-party at Disney's Hollywood Studios with live entertainment, special gifts at the stroke of midnight. Very, very cool. And while the weekend was designed for women, more than 200 men participated on behalf of the women in their lives as well. Again, congratulations to everybody who finished. Please go by and visit 
DisneyEnduranceSeries.com for more information and if you're thinking about running or cheering next year. Heading over to the Magic Kingdom, dates have been released for Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, which starts on September 4th this year and runs on various dates throughout October 31st, 2009. The hours are 7 p.m. until midnight with parades at 8.15 and 10.30 and the awesome fireworks show at 9.30. Tickets go on sale May 1st, 2009. September dates include the 4th, 11th, 15th, 18th, 22nd, 25th, and 29th. Lots of dates in October if you're heading down the 1st, 2nd, 6th, 8th, 9th, 12th, 13th, 15th, 18th, 20th, 22nd, 23rd, 25th, 27th, 29th, and of course, Halloween night, October 31st. And again, you can visit DisneyWorld.com to purchase tickets for the event. Heading over to the resorts, you've heard me talk about Breathless 2, the replica of the 1920s runabout boat that you can rent from Disney's Yacht Club Resort Marina. Well, she went out of service last week for about two months for maintenance and refurbishment. She'll have some minor damage repairs. She'll also be sanded down, redone. The seats will also be mended, so when she comes back into service, she will be just like new. She is used for 30-minute cruises on Crescent Lake. She's also used for specialty cruises, uh, illuminations cruises as well. If you have booked a day or an evening cruise on Breathless during March or April, please call 407-WDW-PLAY for an update. You can also switch your boat. You can cancel your cruise. If you've booked your cruise, you may have received a call already, but if not, call ahead just in case. And if you are going down, thought about maybe taking a Breathless cruise, there are still plenty of other options as well. You can take fireworks cruises on a pontoon boat. You get the same views as you do on Breathless, just without that type of boat. Still a wonderful experience. Again, you can call 407-WDW-PLAY for more information. Over to downtown Disney, where the Virgin Megastore is going to be closing as all of its stores around the nation are closing this summer, including the one at downtown Disney's West Side. And according to the Virgin website, the downtown Disney store is, and soon be was, the largest music and entertainment store in the Southwest, with more than 300 listening stations. A lot of times there were live performances there, autograph signings, but unfortunately, Virgin's last day is going to be May 31st of this year. And I'm curious to hear from you listeners, what what do you think you'd like to see take over what is a very large prime piece of real estate in west side of downtown Disney? Please email me or call into the voicemail. Tell me your opinion, maybe what you'd like to see replace the Virgin Megastore. Staying in downtown Disney, but heading over to the marketplace, Trendy, a hip new boutique with urban-inspired fashions, is going to open this summer. That is going to replace Summer Sands, which closed last month. Also, Paradiso 37, the new restaurant from E! Brands, is going to feature Mexican and South American cuisine. That's going to open this summer. It's going to open in the Waterside location, right across from the Harley-Davidson store and curl. And finally, heading off property just a little bit, but staying within your Walt Disney World vacation... Construction began on the two new Disney Cruise Line ship as crews in Germany began work on the two ships in the Meyer Werft shipyard in Papenburg, Germany. Bit of trivia, the first piece of steel cut for the ship is going to be a piece of the retro-inspired scroll work that's going to cover the bow of the ships just like that on the Magic and Wonder. The new ships are each going to have 1,250 staterooms, weigh 128,000 tons, 
and are set to arrive in Port Canaveral in 2011 and 2012. They're going to carry about 4,000 passengers each, which is about 1,300 more than the Magic and the Wonder. Both of the ships are set to remain at Port Canaveral through at least the end of 2014, although at this time, their initial and full itineraries have not been released as yet. What has also not been released are the names of the two new cruise ships, and I'm curious to hear from you. What do you think, or what do you expect, or what would you like to see Disney name their two new Disney Cruise Line ships? I'll post this question in the forums at wdwradio.com, or you can call the voicemail or email the show. Let me know directly. As with anything you heard on this week's news, call the voicemail at 888-703-2171 or email me directly at lou at wdwradio.com. And finally, remember this week that you will find out if you are 23, as Disney reveals the secret behind the RU23 campaign. Visit disney.com slash 23 on Tuesday, March 10th, to find out the answer for yourself. One of the most fascinating things about Walt Disney World to me is something that wasn't created as part of the resort's massive infrastructure. It's not an engineering feat. It doesn't involve an attraction, a person, or even food. It's a single, small, inch-and-a-half-wide piece of metal that for a decade has grown from a novelty to near pandemonium. And of course, I'm talking about pin trading. For some, it's a hobby. For others, it's a collectible. For others, it's just a symbol of something that they love that they want to wear. To others, it's, it's actually a business. But no matter what, pins offer guests a new way to have fun, to enjoy the parks, and even get a little bit of that Disney magic anytime at home. But how and where and when and why you might buy and trade pins can really be a different experience for everybody. So today... I want to look at pin trading in a particular way, and that's family style. And joining me is Chuck Lionberger from DisneyDaddy.blogspot.com to talk about this and uh, maybe even take some of the craze out of the craziness that is pin trading. So, Chuck, welcome back to the show. Glad to be back, Lou, and I'll I'll get food right in there at the beginning. There there's pins all about the food and wine festival, so there's your food. <laughs> there you go. Twice in one minute, we've gotten food in. So there uh, we go. There. I, I'm I'm sure we will we'll try our best not to talk about food for the rest of this segment. Although with the pressed pennies, it did sort of creep in it, here and there. So food is everywhere, so it's okay. Absolutely, but uh, I think this is. You know, obviously, we've talked about pin trading, and, and you know, people know a lot about pin trading, I think, but we're going to look at it in a sort of a different way. But before we get into the segment a lot, uh, you know, are you, as people say, are you a pin person? Are you a, are you a hardcore pin trader? Do you have, you know, tens of thousands of pins in your rolling suitcase? Well, you know, obviously, we've, from the previous segment on press pin, as you know, I'm hardcore on, on penny press, on press pennies. My wife is the pin head of the family, and she really gets into pen trading to the point that when we start going and doing our trips down to Walt Disney World, we look at, okay, how much can we really afford to spend? 
Okay, that's great. Now how much are we going to spend on pins? So, you know, we really enjoy, she collects pins, but not like a super serious collector. We really enjoy doing pin trading in what I call the family fun way, uh, which we're going to get into a little bit of, of some ideas that, that we've come up with on how to trade and, and do pen trading uh, with cast members, but also not not to kill your wallet at the same time. Right, and not to kill the fun out of it too, uh, because right. I think for some people, and I don't mean this in a in a in a bad way, but the there's a more of a business aspect to it, or there is a, a very serious aspect about pin trading, which is fine because for some people maybe it's it's the quest that they enjoy, it's the it's the uh, trading and negotiating, you know, of the pin trades that they like. But we want to talk about being able to do this as a family in a very fun, very stress-free kind of way. Yeah, but- absolutely. I mean, sometimes when you're going, in, in, especially the first time we went down to Walt Disney World and, and actually got into some pin trading events with actual other serious pin traders, it was it was a little intimidating because, you know, I don't know, you know, if, if this pen over here, this Mickey Mouse pen is a limited edition, you know, super valuable pen. It's almost like, you know, trading away a, a you know, a, a super rare Superman comic book or something like that. And, you know, I don't know. We just enjoy pens for what they are and what they mean. So that was when we sort of thought about the, the way that we liked to trade pens. And that was that was with cast members. Exactly. And as we talk about this, we'll see that um, the way we do it is very much sort of kindred spirits in the way we trade pins. And we'll talk about what value is because that changes for each person and each family and for each pin trader. Uh, oh, yeah. Very, very quick history about the background of pins. Obviously, if you're listening to the show, you've seen them. They are everywhere. Uh, you can't miss them. They're in stores and kiosks, carts, lanyards on cast members, on guests. Anywhere you go in Walt Disney World, you cannot help but to see um, the tens and tens of thousands of pins. They actually started back in 1999, in October, as part of the launch of the Millennium Celebration. Pin trading goes back far, far beyond that. Really sort of exploded with the uh, with the Olympics. It, it reached a, 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 when I said pandemonium, I should have said pindemonium. Uh, pardon that awful pun. But it really sort of exploded over the past few years and continues to grow. And it's amazing, uh, like I said, that there are tens of thousands of pins. And I've talked to some of the guys at the Disney Design Group, the artists that actually design the pins, asking them if they have any idea about, you know, ballpark the number for me. How many pins are really out there? And they just don't know. They just don't know. They, they say they really are in the tens of thousands. And uh, some people have are very, very heavily invested in pins because, like I said, there are people that I've seen with the rolling luggage carts filled with, uh, with with a lot of these Disney pins. Oh yeah, if you go look at a Disney and a book, uh, the the big shop on Main Street that you know is kind of the main pen shop there. They have a Disney and a book there, and the thing is like a half inch thick, and it's all about pins. So there really are just thousands and thousands and thousands of pins out there. Right, and and like I said, it's evolved from the simple little pin trading early on to a level of a collectability and it's really a phenomenon and the way it is now it's amazing because there is a whole sort of subset of disney fans uh, that when new pins are released these are the people that will line up in the wee hours of the morning to get the limited edition pins they'll they'll go on cruises special disney cruises to get pins or meet the pin artists they'll go to meet there's disney pin groups. Um, I, I've gone to one. There's one here in New Jersey, the Central Jersey Disney Pin Traders. John Rick uh, founded that group, and I went to it, and I was amazed at what I saw because the the pin, the really hardcore pin fans 
are different than, say, the park enthusiasts. Um, there's online databases with photos, and you can trade online with other people. And like I said, Chuck, for some people, it even kind of rose to the level of a business for some people, the trading and oh. the selling of pins. Oh, yeah. In fact, you know, you go on to, dare I say the word eBay, but you look at eBay, and there are whole eBay stores that do nothing but sell Disney pins. Yeah. And, and like I said, for some people, that's the fun for them is trying to complete their collection, trying to get the good trade, trying to, dare I say, complete the collection. Oh, I'm going to get all the Haunted Mansion pins. Well, good luck, because I think, you know, there's a new Haunted yeah. Mansion pin all the time. But um, but that's their fun. And we want to talk about bringing the fun into it the same way we talked about pressed pennies, which is doing it together as a family. Um, right. Something that, you know, the kids can do, mom can do, grandma can do. And everybody have a really good time with it. With if you do it the right way, these pins that really, if you do it right, not get too too expensive because they're only about seven eight dollars average um, for some of the pins. Well, there's an even easier way, and we'll talk about that of a way that you can can start your uh, pin trading experience and not have to go to that seven dollar up per pin level. We'll get to that in a little bit. Well, you know what? Let's do it right now. For, for people okay, sure. who are just sort of getting into it, say, you know what? I've seen it. I, I don't know a lot about it because we, we can't take for granted that, that everybody knows how to pin trade and how to get started doing it. There are a bunch of different ways that you can get started. And one way is with what Disney has, which is a starter pack, which gives you the lanyard. It gives you four pins with a different mm-hmm. theme. I think they run, correct me if I'm wrong, about $25, $30 for one of those Somewhere in that vicinity. It depends on, on what you're getting, uh, but somewhere in that level. And yes, you got a lanyard, and you get, get a few pens to go with it, and off you go. Right. Or you can just start very simply. You pick up the lanyard, the color of your choice, start picking out some pins off the shelf. I mean, there's character pins, there's theme park pins, there's attraction pins, hotel pins, you name it. Disney makes a pin for it. Um, but if you do that, you know, if you're picking ones that you like, you're not really picking ones to trade. So not how do people However, right? there, there is a benefit, though, that if as you're going to some of these, these pen shops that are on property and you get two or three pens that you want to have for your collection, a lot of times they also have a, a add-on, sort of an extra buy option where you can buy a mystery pen for a dollar. Uh, and so you can get a couple of those. You don't necessarily know what you're getting. Again, part of the fun. But those might be your... Your pin fodder is, is we like to call it. You know, in order to pin trade, you have to have pins to trade, and so you know, the term that's kind of where the term pin fodder came from. Yeah, I swore to myself that I would never ever get roped into the whole pin thing, and invariably, of course, I did. And I bought my lanyard, and I bought some pins that I liked, and then people were coming up to me wanting to trade. And I'm like, hey, you know, these are my pins. <laughs> I'm not going to trade these away. And then I realized that you know, okay, I need to start getting the collection of, of traders, and then ones to keep. But tell us about some of the other ways that people can start their pin trading collection, or as you say, their pin fodder. Yeah, to, another great way to get pin fodder. And again, I go to, go to eBay, and eBay, of course, comes with the standard warnings and buyer beware, so make sure you shop around and, and know who you're dealing with. But there are some of these, these folks who do sell pins as a business and they sell them in lots and a lot of times these are those dollar pins that are kind of the add-on that they just get a big you know amount of and so you can go buy 40 pins maybe for the price of about 80 or 85 dollars well it sounds like a lot but if you stop and think about it that's a little over two bucks a pin so what we did this last trip uh, when we went down for mouse fest we did just that 
we, I went on eBay and found a reputable buyer and bought a pen lot of 40 pens. And of those 40 pens, we decided to actually keep about five because they were five that we had been looking for, wanting to make collections and things like that. And then the rest, we just set aside, put on a couple of lanyards, and then took those down to the park. And we knew that, you know, whatever we traded away, hey, that was great. And then whatever was left, hey, we'll save it for next time. Yeah, I've done that as well. When my daughter started getting older and understanding the whole pin thing, rather than going and spending 8 $9 on a pin that she was just going to trade away, I went on to eBay. And again, you're right. You must be very, very careful, not only about the person who is the seller, that they have a good reputation, but the kind of pins that you're buying. Because we'll talk about it. You can only trade official Disney pins. They've got to be the metal pins. They have to have the Disney stamp on the back. There are a thing called... Sedesma pins. There's some, I think, European styles Euro- of pins. Uh, yeah. Right. That I'm not really. Yeah, you want to stay away from all that stuff. Exactly. So if it looks too good to be true, chances are it is. Um, I think I spent about a dollar and a quarter, a dollar fifty per pin. Got a big bag of them, put them on my daughter's lanyard, and uh, and she just went to town and, and had a great, great, great time doing it. And, and maybe that's how we should start talking about the actual pin trading and and I will yeah, tell you, absolutely when I when I started doing it I still don't know what I'm doing because you know <laughs> there's two basic ways to do it you can trade with cast members or you can trade with guests and trading with cast members is very very simple you'll see that all cast members for the most part have lanyards on there'll be blue lanyards or green lanyards a blue lanyard means anybody can trade with them And a green lantern means that's for kids only. They're kid-friendly traders, which means that if you're an adult, you cannot trade with them. You can only be between 3 and and 12 years old. And don't send your kids to try and trade for you because that's just not, that's not right. But uh, trading with a cast member is very, very simple and there is no pressure involved with doing it at all. And that's why, (laughs) that's why I really enjoy it. That's, that's the best reason why we like to trade pretty much exclusively with with cast members although lou if i see you in the park i'll, I'll trade with you i'll uh, trade with we, you we, but just don't you know don't you try to rip me off <laughs> <laughs> i couldn't I, i'll tell you what and that's the benefit of it i wouldn't even know how to rip you off because for us and when we're collecting and doing pins and really this gets to the heart of it the value for us is not in the rarity of the pin the value is in how we got that pin where we got that pin, what was happening when we got that pin. It might be a pin associated with Figment or with Rock and Roller Coaster. For instance, when my uh, middle son first rolled the Rock and Roller Coaster, he got off of it. Of course, was terrified, swore he'd never ride it again. Now he can't wait to go again. But we got the pin to go with it. So again, here is the pin, uh, just as we got the press penny, to sort of remember that event so the value now is associated with the memory has nothing to do with how rare is this pen how limited is this pen all that all that kind of stuff right and that's and that's always been my fear and 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 i have to admit my fear is probably unfounded as far as trading with other guests because 99.9 percent of guests trade the same way you know if you have a pin they like if they have a pin you like everybody's happy you do the trade um I was always fearful that, yeah, I didn't know the value to certain people of a pin, so I don't want to go up to somebody and say, hey, I've got this, you know, 2001 celebration pin. Can I trade it for your limited edition of 250 whatever lenticular light-up singing dancing mm-hmm. pin? Um, you know, and, and the worst, look, the worst they could say is no thank you. So yeah. you should never be afraid about approaching another guest. And what I love about pin trading, Chuck, whether it's with a cast member or a guest, is that it gives you an opportunity to meet and talk to somebody, especially the cast members, that you might not have gone up to and, and had a chance to meet before. 
and yet another reason of how you can get to meet and experience truly the best of the best of Walt Disney World, and that's the cast members. This is another excuse, if you will, of having a chance to strike up a conversation with a cast member. I remember I was, I was standing at one time in the line uh, for Soren, and of course, you know, Soren had a really healthy line, and there were some cast members that were interacting, and at one point I stopped and was trading with a cast member, and before you know it, we were having about a 10 or 15 minute long conversation as we kind of made our way uh, through the line of, with, with this cast member. It's just a wonderful conversation, just talking about the parks and some of the things that, that we like to do, but that really wouldn't have started had I not said, boy, that's an interesting pen. I'd like to trade with you. Right. And that actually sort of leads me to the fact that there is pin etiquette. You know, mm-hmm. how do you actually go up to that cast member or that guest? There are, believe it or not, there are some rules. And I can't even say unwritten anymore because Disney actually does put out some pin etiquette guidelines. You can get them on the website. You can get them in the parks. Um, oh. And, and they're, they're very, very simple and they're very common sense. Obviously, pin trades with anybody are one to one. One pin mm-hmm. for one pin. No money can exchange hands at all, no matter how much you want that, you know, Chuck Lionberger figment pin, you got to trade for it. You can't buy it from somebody. You can't exchange uh, money for pins at all in the parks. Other thing, too, very, very important is there's no touching. You, you can't touch a cast member's lanyard. You shouldn't touch their them in person or, or unless they're, you want to mm-hmm. tap them on the shoulder. Um, everything is, is hand-to-hand. You can point to a, a, a cast member's pin. They'll take it off, put it in your hand, and then you sort of swap that way. Um, yeah, the cast members actually are very good about that. In fact, especially when they're trading with, with children, uh, you know, they'll get down to a child's level. They'll hold their lanyard actually out to them so that the kids can get a good look uh, without having to touch and you know, grab a hold of the lanyard themselves or anything like that. So they'll actually present the lanyard uh, and always with a wonderful smile and very warm and very inviting saying, well, which one would you like to trade for? Uh, and so that's, again, another reason why we really like and enjoy uh, trading and interacting with cast members yeah and they'll still for the most part they'll stop what they're doing and they'll spend as much time with you as you want um obviously if the cast member is busy trading with somebody let them finish with that trade first before you go over and try and you know look over somebody's shoulder and get in and look at their pins they will normally wait for you you know as long as as long as you need to go through um their pins and don't ever feel bad too by going up to a cast member don't feel obligated that you have to trade you could just say, hey, you know, nice pins, thank you very much, and walk away. Oh, yeah. There's no obligation by, you know, you can look, but you can browse. You can browse pins. Oh, sure. You're, if, you, if you approach a cast member and are talking to them, you're, you don't absolutely have to trade. Uh, you can just be looking and, you know, again, it's still a great way to strike up a conversation and, and learn about a cast member. Absolutely. And, and the great thing about it, too, is that you don't have to go to a specific place, a specific time, a specific location to pin trade. You can do it. Anywhere, anytime, with any cast member, morning, noon, way late at night, uh, throughout property, in the resorts, oh, in the parks, in the restaurants even. I was about to say, here comes our food reference again. <laughs> some of the better trades I have made have actually been in some of the character dining restaurants. Uh, you know, when the, when the, the characters have to go take a, you know, go meet their friends and, and, and things like that, uh, the handlers sometimes hang around a little bit and we'll trade with the handlers who have the pens. Uh, and sometimes those are the, the most fun to trade with. Yeah, and, and there are other places, too. If you There are places on property, some sort of pin trading locations. Downtown Disney Marketplace, probably the biggest one of them all, uh, right outside the world of Disney. There's a huge Disney pin traders place there. 
and they actually have tables outside of where, where <laughs> other guests will come and display their pins. There's some kid-sized tables that if the kids have um, pins that they want to show or trade, you can go in. Huge selection there. You can even go on the Disney website there. There's some little internet kiosks there. Uh, obviously, in Interventions Plaza in Epcot's Future World, another one by the Sorcerer Mickey Hat. Mm-hmm. But again, no one place or time that you, that you need to or have to do it. Yeah, it's pin trading is another one of those again, kind of like purse pennies and kind of like hidden Mickey's. It's an anywhere, anytime kind of event and something that you can do together as a family. Exactly, and and if you do want to, you know, do things with guests or if you have, you want to bring down your pin collection. Disney still has events on property. They hold them in the Contemporary Resort. Uh, they have actually like a pin trading night. Um, I think there's one in February around the 20th or so. I think if you go to the Disney pin website they have a huge pin event uh, every september in epcot which has a huge selection of pins and that's yep. really where a lot of the heavy duty hardcore you know pin traders co and will line up for hours just oh to yeah that's the this year it's in the end of june it's the museum of pentiquities it's a celebration 2009 that's going to be uh at world showplace in epcot uh and it's going to be a huge event uh, disneypins.com has got all kinds of stuff on it uh, and special pins that are going to be released. So, you know, for those who are who are big pen people, it's it's got to be a must a must do. Yeah, and, and like we said, you know, doing this family style, and I, and I like that term, is great because I think it enhances the experience. I think it adds a whole new level of excitement for people. You know, like looking for hidden Mickey's or whatever it is. There's something more to do as you're walking around, or that downtime in between, and you find yourself looking at other guests' lanyards and looking at every cast members. And there's so much, so many different ways that you can have fun with it. You know, don't try and collect every single pin. <laughs> you know, pick no, a you're theme. you're never going to do that. Right. Pick a theme, pick a character, pick an attraction, something you like. Believe me, there will be dozens, if not hundreds, of pins uh, for them. And the great thing, too, is, like I said, you take them home and there's so many different ways to display them and enjoy them. You put them in books. You frame them. I mean, I've seen people do some huge, elaborate ways of displaying their pins. Oh, absolutely. You know, and another great tip about, especially if you're having your kids to help you in doing trading, here's one tip that, that my wife, again, the, the true pin expert of the family, uh, gave me, and it really makes sense, and, and one that we learned as we went down. Uh, obviously, in our case, bringing down 40 pins, that's a lot of pins. And so we put it on several different lanyards. Well, initially, we would come and you know have several different lanyards all wearing at the same time. Well, that gets to be a lot of weight to carry around the park, and you don't end up trading that many in any particular day. So we figured out something pretty good. Have two lanyards, one an empty lanyard, and the other just fill your lanyard up in the morning with the pins you want to trade. As you make trades, put the ones that you've received on your empty lanyard and just take them off of the lanyard that, that you're going to trade from. And so as you go through the day... You just take off of one and go to the other, and that way you have a great way to keep track of which one's still to trade and which ones you've now received. Exactly. What I did for my daughter was every morning before we went to the parks, I would give her five more pins to trade. Um, exactly. You know, of she would get them and be like, oh, these are exactly the ones I wanted. wouldn't want to trade them away. So I always kept some ex- extras with me. But it's another exciting thing for them even before they get out to the parks um, and, and even she, at, at four and five, loved the quest of, of talking to and meeting the other cast members and, and trying to find... She started collecting a certain type of pin, and then it was the princess pins, and she was always looking for the bell of the Cinderella. So even at, at that very young age, you can really, really enjoy it. 
Yeah, and that's the same thing that, that our, our family loves to do is that it seems like we'll, we'll come across a style that we like and say, okay, this year we're going to – this trip, we're going to go find all the cutie pins we can find. Uh, or we're looking specifically for monorails, if we can get some monorails this year or you know, something like that. So, again, it's, it's all part of the quest. You just have fun with the cast members. Right, and it's, and it's – again, we talked about value, and the value is very, very subjective, whether it's because of – the memories or because of, of who or what it is. Uh, it's not the monetary eBay value that I think uh, brings the fun to, to doing this family style. And uh, yeah. I think it's something you can really do to have fun. And it's a really a great way to bring back some memories from your trip as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we have a, we have a book that we have and, and we flip our pens and we can look at every pen and smile and, and know that there's a story behind that pen and really that's that's another way to bring a piece of the magic home now do you display your pins at home or do you have them in books or do you sort of just keep them in a bag or on lanyards actually I tell you what we are we've got a book as well as we're working right now on two frames for uh really really nice pins that we've got that we know we're you know never going to put in a book we want to display them and we actually got this idea from uh one of the restaurants uh in the magic kingdom from tony's town square uh that they had, uh, you know, a frame, and then they put uh, like some batting and some backing with some like velour or some some sort of uh, you know nice fabric, and then just put the pins in that and frame them right up. So we're actually in the middle of, of building two nice frames right now. Yeah, I, I give credit to all of you people out there that are so creative. Uh, you know, a lot of the the scrapbookers and I, I mean, they do some beautiful. Some people have given me. I'm looking at one now on my wall. You know, I'm a huge Peter Pan fan. Somebody gave me a giant frame with all sort of Peter Pan stuff in there. And that's where I put all of my Peter Pan pens. So I know when I find one from the attraction or from the characters, I have that frame to put them in. Others are sort of just piled up on little (laughs) pin boards and on lanyards scattered throughout the house, um, trying to keep them away from my kids as much as possible. So, um, But yeah, I've seen some some really beautiful um, pin displays out there. Yeah, and I have also, you know, at work, I have my MouseFest lanyard, and I've got a few pens and, and buttons, including a certain WDW radio button that somehow got on that lanyard, uh, that's all hanging in my office as well. So it's memories of MouseFest, memories of Disney, and so, you know, another great way to, to keep some magic. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and there's so many more levels to pin trading, you know, that we can talk about. Um, I, I oh, suggest, yeah. and, there's, and there's tons of valuable resources online from... You know, Diz pins to pin picks to obviously the official DisneyPinTrading.com. That's probably the best place to go. Gives you really a great overview of pin trading. There's also news about new releases. There's a calendar of events. There's also that guide, like I said, to pin trading etiquette. I'll put that up in the show notes as well. I know you have actually blogged about pin trading as well. I'll link yep. to DisneyDaddy.blogspot.com. And, uh, Much thanks. Anytime, and I appreciate you coming on and uh, talking to us a little bit about sort of the basics of family-style pin trading. Lou, it's, it's always a pleasure and an honor to be with you. I've always said that I want this show to be interactive and interact you do as the email inbox is bursting with lots of great questions about all things Walt Disney World. And this is great because I can't do the show alone and I certainly can't do the emails alone, at least not this week. 
So I've once again brought into the studio, i.e. her house, my resident and favorite travel planner, the lovely and talented Ms. Rebecca Mankin. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm blown away. Thank you very much for a wonderful introduction, Lou, from your West Coast affiliate office, right? That's right, from the West Coast studios, um, high in the <laughs> mountains of the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. It's got to be freezing up there. You've you got to be wishing you were in Disney right now. I, I got to tell you, I just came back from Disneyland a couple of days ago, and it was about 76, warm and sunny, and I came back to snow. So- you know what? <laughs> we would have felt pity on you. Had you left off the part that you, oh, I just came back from Disneyland. And see that? You, you lost oh, us all right there. Sorry. I, I, my bad. <laughs> Unlike you, many of the listeners have not just come from Disneyland, but are planning trips to Disney World. So let's just get right into the emails before you bury yourself in the snow <laughs> even further. Nice segue. Thank okay. you. Okay. <laughs> First email says, hey, Lou, love the show. My husband and I are going to Disney soon with our four-month-old. Are there any rides at the Magic Kingdom or Epcot that would be okay to take him on with us. My mother and sister are also coming to do some babysitting when necessary. Nice. And that comes from Heather, who knows cold because she's from Buffalo, New York. Um, (laughs) Now, Becky, I'm going to go, having traveled with my young ones when they were, my daughter I think was seven months old when I took her. Um, There's a lot of stuff that that she can do. Um, Magic Kingdom, right off the bat, you've you've got some of the shows, um, You've, and things that came to mind was like Winnie the Pooh, um, the Riverboat, the TTA, love it, mm-hmm. Jungle Cruise, um, let's see, Railroad, uh, Country Bears, um, maybe the Monsters Inc. Laugh. You know what? Whirl them around in the teacups a little bit. See, see, <laughs> what, see what a man is. But it, I actually, as I was thinking more of it, you know, you have to sort of depend on how, the, how he is going to be and maybe right. look to attractions that... If you need to, you can easily exit from, sort of a, just as a courtesy to other guests. So the country bears, try and sit all the way on the end by the exit. This way, if he gets scared, if he gets cranky, if he gets tired, if he gets hungry like Becky is wont to do in these shows, you can take him right out. <laughs> I, I totally agree with that. I'm not sure about the, the you know tired, grumpy, hungry stuff, but <laughs> the slow-moving rides, the things are a little bit more tame. And it really does depend on the, on the child because... Different children have different tolerances for um, for outside stimulus, so um, it really depends on how he or she reacts. But of course, even the stuff that you don't take the baby on, it's great that you've got the mother and sister coming because you can also do the tried and true baby swap as well. Absolutely, absolutely. And in Epcot, there's probably a little bit less that I'd say that you that you can go on. I mean, if the baby's sleeping or is a good baby, Universe of Energy, there's a quality 45 minute nap for him right in there. <laughs> um, living with the land probably another one but again if the baby starts getting cranky gets crazy it's tough because if he's crying uncontrollably then you can't take him off the boat you can't sort of hop off in the middle of the ride so right um, you have to really judge by how the baby's going to be once you get there i totally agree so the second question becky is not a question so you can sit back on this one because uh mary schnurrer I think, <laughs> loves the show, <laughs> but wants to share this. And she said, Lou, longtime fan, just wanted to let you know we got back from the world and my grandson used the birthday card to spend in the parks. Very, very limited at the places you can use them, but it didn't take him long, six years old, to spend it. Good boy. The thing is, we took a printout of the registration for the birthday celebration and a copy of my grandson's birth certificate. The cast member told us that they want original birth certificates only 
not copies, and if we bring anyone else on their birthday, be sure it is the original. They also informed us that if we don't didn't have a pass already to get into the parks, the only choice you would have is the free day to get it. Boy, am I glad we bought the 10-day tickets. And again, that comes from Mary. So Mary, obviously Becky, making it clear mm-hmm. that Disney is looking for that original birth certificate. Correct. They're, they specify for kids under 18 uh, that you need the original or what they call a certified copy, which is uh, certified by the state and has the raised seal. So that's kind of the thing that, that sets it apart. It's the same uh, birth certificate that they require to sail on the ships. So either the original or a certified copy. Will they take a passport? Do you know? I don't. That's a really good question. Um, I do know for an adult, obviously, they would. But for the children, when I was reading about that earlier, it, it did just specify the original or certified copy of a birth certificate. Right. Because I know I think some people are just sort of skittish about taking their birth certificate with mm-hmm. them away and then potentially losing it in, in Disney World. So uh, right. we'll have to find out. Or if anybody knows, please, by all means, let us know. But it, it's, it's a great tip, Mary, just for people that are going down. Right, and the other thing she brought up as well is that uh, you do have to show your ticket media if you don't already have it, uh, and that'll give you that option if you already have a multi-day, multi-day ticket or a, uh, annual pass, then you get the other choices of the Fast Pass card or the gift card, which a lot of people don't realize, as she stated here, is really limited to what you can spend it on. So um, make sure that you're aware before you make your choice. Right, but if the six-year-old can do it, trust me, I'm, I'm sure we can find stuff. <laughs> To buy in the parks. So the next email comes from Shevin, who said, Lou, love the show and Disney World trivia books and site. I was wondering if you heard anything about Disney offering a payment plan for seasonal and annual passes like some other parks do. I thought I read that they were doing that in California. We're a family of five hardcore Disney files, and we love having the seasonal passes. But some years it's really hard to swing it in a lump sum. Um, hmm. Becky, I don't know if you anything, but as far as I know, um, I don't think Disney World does that, do they? No. I, I Well, in December, of course, Disneyland did announce that they were doing a payment plan for the annual passes, allowing guests to purchase on um, like monthly installments. However, I believe it was only for Southern California residents. And ever since that came out, there's always been these rumors and speculation that they would come up with something for Disney World. But I haven't heard anything beyond just the, the sheer talk that that they should or that it might be coming, but nothing solid. Yeah, I, I haven't heard that as well and com- totally speculating on my part. I'm not really sure if Disney wants to sort of get into the, the, the payment processing business and having to worry about following up. Um, Shevin, the, I guess the best suggestion I could give you, you know, is look for maybe like a low interest credit card or a card that has no interest for a year, maybe like a rewards card, like a Disney visa. So, you know, you're getting mm-hmm. something back. Um, but yeah, we'll keep our eyes and ears open to see if we hear anything about that. Next email, Becky, comes from Raphael, who says, Lou, I'm going to be traveling in March to Walt Disney World to celebrate my son's fourth birthday. We're on a fixed budget, therefore we will be arriving at the Sanford Airport, since that was the lowest airfare we got. I know there's no Disney transportation service from that airport, therefore we'll need taxi service. That service is more than 100 U.S. Do you know of an easier way or have a taxi recommendation with the lowest fare? Thank you. Now, I've actually never flown in there. Becky, you have any? Yeah, I, I haven't flown in there either. As a matter of fact, because of the distance and, of course, the free Magical Express from Orlando International, that tends to be a little bit more popular. Um, it's about a 30-mile drive, I believe, from Sanford to uh, the Disney World Resort. So it's about twice uh, um, 
twice the distance. But from what I understand, options from there include a shared shuttle service, but the shuttle is $32 a person. So if you're looking at five at you or how many of you there are, that is going to get close to that hundred really fast if there's three. Um, And that's during daytime hours. I think the shuttle services from there priced a little bit differently as opposed to daytime and, and nighttime hours when you arrive. A couple other things that I was thinking about, you might want to consider just renting a car. Um, if you rent an Alamo car from Sanford Airport, you could actually drive uh, and return it at the Dolphin Resort or the car care center that's near the Magic Kingdom. Alamo has those two return centers. That's probably going to cost anywhere from $30 to $55 for a, a one-day rental of a, of a standard-sized car. Um, that is the only thing that I could really think of right off the top of my head that's going to get you under that $100 mark for one way. You know what I love about you? Is that we think alike, because that's exactly what I was going to suggest was renting a car for the day or even, you know, longer if it, if it makes sense for you, but yeah. and then re- returning it right there on Disney World property. Exactly. And then you can pick it up to return again. And at least you get the uh, the round trip for the same amount that you're looking at for a taxi to get there one way. Exactly. Perfect. All right. Next email. We're going to try and get through as many of these as possible is from Jack. And he says, hey, Lou, I'm a longtime teen listener of the shows. Now on to my question. My mom is a pain in the, no, my mom has neck, neck pain. Lou! Is, is not, uh, Jack, I'm kidding, is not a thrill ride person. My sister and I, on the other hand, are big thrill ride fans. Which park would be better for all of us so that there are a few thrill rides and most of the thrill rides are not too rough and are fine for my mom's neck? Epcot or Disney's Hollywood Studios? Thanks. Keep up the superb job. P.S. We're only going for one day because we live two hours away in the Tampa area. Um, you know, I was I, right off the bat, I was going to say Epcot, but then I'm starting to think the studios has a lot of shows. They've got Idol, they've got Indie, they've got Beauty and the Beast, they've got Mermaid, the great movie ride, but the right. kids can still go and do Tower of Terror and Rock and Roller Coaster. Yeah, either option is really going to, to fit the mark here, especially... What a lot of people don't know is that family members can actually go through the queues of the thrill rides as well and take the chicken exit. I've done it. <laughs> I'm, I will admit it. I've done it. Where you can actually go through the queue and still be together. And then when you get uh, when you approach the cast member for the boarding of the ride, let them know that you're a non-rider and they'll just direct you to the exit where you can wait for the, the kids to, to uh, exit the ride. So you, you don't have to totally avoid them, obviously, because she, she can't ride as well. Um, but both parks, it, it really comes down to what type of theming. If you want to do the excitement of Hollywood or if you want more of the cultural experience of, of Epcot, both actually fit. So it's hard to pick a favorite. Yeah, it's true. I mean, obviously in Epcot for the thrill rides, you've got Mission Space. Uh-huh. You've got Journey into Imagination with Figment. You've got Test Track. <laughs> but, you know, for your mom's sake, and look, you know, it's your mom. She's got Ex- Universe of Energy. She's got the seas. Uh-huh. She's got Spaceship Earth. She's got Norway and Mexico. Don't forget World Showcase. Um, so I would leave it up to your mom, Jack. Hey, that's a good, that's a really good tip. That's an excellent tip. Jack, I'm telling you, your mother's always right. You don't have to admit it, but I'm telling you. 40 years old, I finally (laughs) will. Anyway, Lou, I had a blast playing Where in the World last week. Keep it up. Two questions on your PhotoPass show. First, will PhotoPass photographers be working their magic during the half marathon? Second, if I buy the CD, can it be copied or is it protected? Thanks a bunch. That's Kim, also known as Kimini Cricket. Awesome screen name on the forum oh, awesome. and on Twitter. 
I like that. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> well, I, I know that on the photo CD, it does come with a limited copyright release so that it's okay to use the photos for personal use. Um, the agreement, I think, is in the main directory on the CD itself. So it gives you instructions how to, how to pull the, the pictures. But it, again, it's for that personal use. Right. And as far as the, the half marathon is concerned, I'm not sure if you mean on the course. There are photographers there, but they're not Disney photo pass photographers. Um, they're from Action Sports, and they'll take pictures. And then after the marathon is over, you'll get an email with a link to photos of you based on your chip and your bib and whatever technology they use. Um, and you can buy photos from them of you on the course. Um, it, it, so it's not through the photo pass, and you won't be able to get those on your CD, as far as I know, having done it just once. but they do a great job some of those photos really come out nice they do do a great job and and looking at my marathon photo in the background now you don't see the stretcher carrying me across which is nice (laughs) that they were able to crop that out that was after all the blood returned back to your face (laughs) right from falling over got it (laughs) all right next one says first lou first i want to say that i'm a huge fan of the show my question is this i just purchased a premium pass and according to disney's website it states that with this pass The pass holder has unlimited access to the four theme parks, water parks, and the Oak Trail walking golf course. My wife and I are golfers, so the Oak Trail was a strong benefit for us. We went to the course and golfed around, and when we went inside to say we were going again, they told us that it is limited to one round per day and we would have to pay the replay fee. Nowhere on the website does it state this stipulation. I've asked multiple Disney employees what the actual rules are, and I'm getting conflicting answers. Do you know if the stipulation is true? Can they advertise unlimited access and legally have the stipulation? We love Disney and really enjoy being there. And what better place to golf, which is why we wanted this pass. Thank you in advance for your reply. And that's from Alan Lethbridge. Alan, I'm going to qualify my answer by saying that although I am an attorney, no advice that I am giving you here should be construed as legal advice. And I suggest you consult the services of an attorney in your state. However, I did do my investigation because... All that money and time in law school hopefully will pay off. Um, (laughs) It does say on the Disney website, Premium Annual Pass also includes admission to Disney Quest, Disney's Typhoon Lagoon, Blizzard Beach, Oak Trail Golf Course. Farther down on the page, it does say unlimited access except activities, events separately priced to Disney's Oak Trail Golf Course. But, Alan, I was not satisfied. So I, I picked up my trusty legal phone. And I called down to 407-WDW-GOLF three times um, throughout the day so I can get somebody else. And I was told that it is unlimited to one round per day until the pass expires. Right. I actually had this question myself a few weeks ago, and I had to call it in. I went looking in all directions because, of course, we know that Disney is well known for its skill in fine print. And I was really surprised to see that it was not really well documented on the pass holder site or even in um, – they said it wasn't printed on the 2009 little annual pass mini guide thing that you get with your with your pass. Mine's 2008, and of course, it didn't say anything on it, but uh, they told me the same thing when I called. It was one round per day. Yeah, and it, it's unfortunate that it's confusing because when you see unlimited, there, there is no restriction there. Um, right. But, but according to Disney, that is what their guidelines state, so um, – it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> one round, and then one go round. play in the park. Exactly. One round of golf, that's all you need. Then just go relax somewhere. So, <laughs> The next question, Becky, oddly starts off with not, hey, Lou, love the show. It's, 
Becky. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> I'm a fellow Washingtonian. Oh, double woohoo. <laughs> For the rest of you, that's Washington State, Paul says. He says, Excellent. I'm curious about your feelings about the Wilderness Lodge. I like what I hear of many of the features of the lodge, but would I be disappointed since we have many of the real things out our back door? Thanks. And that's from Paul, also known as Tall Paul. Awesome. Uh, well, it's great to meet another Washingtonian, and, and thanks for addressing it to me, Paul. I'm happy now. But, you know, I have to admit, on my personal vacations, I've kind of shied away from the Wilderness Lodge for that very reason. I mean, why fly six hours to stay in a resort that looks like the view from your backyard? That's kind of what I've thought about it. Um, I visited the resort several times, but have never actually stayed there, I have to admit again so after staying at the grand californian though in disneyland i've i really enjoyed the the lobby and the woods and the the lodge feeling that was there so i did convince myself to try the wilderness lodge um i'm going to do that on my next trip so that will um it also helps that it's one of the better prices of the deluxe resorts as well (laughs) so it doesn't, doesn't quite hit the budget as badly as some of the other ones can but um we do have the beautiful Northwest here. We've got the woods and we've got, you know, the, the gorgeous blue skies when it's not raining. I know it never rains here, but don't tell anybody. Shh. But there's sites like the, the lobby, which is just absolutely gorgeous in that resort, the huge fireplace. And of course we don't have geysers around here a lot. So that's yeah, one I, of the you know, things. as you're saying that you're not staying there, I'm like, wait a minute, time out a second. I'm like, Becky, <laughs> do you or Paul live in a giant log cabin with, with hand carved totem poles inside and a big uh, fireplace? Do you, do you have rapids outside or a whispering canyon cafe? Do you, if you go out your back door, can you take a boat to the monorail? I mean, <laughs> no, to the, can point. you take a boat to the Magic Kingdom? So. Good point. I, I don't think... All right. So now given all those points and you just, you know, hit all of my bullets there, <laughs> I think it, I would say it's an atmosphere that um, that is reminiscent of where we live, but... If that type of atmosphere provides the the relaxation that you're looking for in your vacation, certainly give it a, a try. I'm very much looking forward to my trip to the Wilderness Lodge, so hopefully it works out for you as well. I'm a huge fan, obviously, of the Wilderness Lodge. Paul, go back. We did a show on the Wilderness Lodge. We did a real detailed look inside um, a number of shows ago. I'll try and put the link in the show notes. That being said, though, um, if Disney came out with a, a Jersey hotel, I would not stay there. But <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Instead of what what building it's what exit. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right. <laughs> oh, look, um, I'm I, in the I, Belmar room. I'm in the <laughs> Seaside Heights wing. Uh, anyway, hey, Lou, I recently, within the last few months, heard one of your shows where you discuss books any Disney fan should have. One in particular I thought was interesting was the one about the colors selected to use in the parks, building, and pavilions. Could you tell me the title of those books? In which episode I could hear them discussed again. Thanks. I enjoyed the show. Keep it coming and be well. Melissa. Uh, Melissa, I will put the link in the show notes. I don't remember off the top of my head. We did cover a number of Disney books on a, on a few shows. But what I think you're talking about is a book called Designing Disney, Imagineering, and the Art of the Show by John Hench. Huge, huge recommendations for that book. Uh, it is it is wonderful. It is spectacular. I'll put a direct link to that in the show notes. Another one, too, you should look at is Designing Disney's Theme Parks, The Architecture of Reassurance. That's by uh, Carol Ann Mar- Mar- Marling, if I can say that right. Um, <laughs> two very, very good books about the use of colors and stories and show and whatnot. So I'll, I'll link those up in the show notes. 
Moving on, Claudia Fortunato says, Hey Lou, really love the show. Thanks so much for my Disney fix every week. I also love following you on your Disney trips through Facebook status updates. It makes me feel just a little bit closer to the magic. I also subscribe to Celebrations. Just can't help myself. I read and reread it all day. Claudia, I love you. I was yeah. wondering if you know of any sites, groups, etc. for single people who love the Disney parks to meet either a website or a group or something. I'm on Long Island, so maybe something in the New York City area. Anyway, I would really appreciate any insight you had. Thanks, and that's from Claudia. Becky, sit back. Let me take this one, Miss Pacific Northwest. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Why, thank you. I was going to say the one thing that I recognize in here is Facebook, which, of course, I'm addicted to. So uh, I I will just sit here quietly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what, Uh, Claudia, I I don't... update my Facebook, sorry. Right, I might might not have specific information for you. Um, There's obviously many, many, many communities online. Um, Facebook being a great one. There's also individual communities. I have one. There's message forums. It numbering in the dozens probably at this point. And usually on a lot of these places, including Facebook, you might find a sub forum or a thread or whatever it might be specifically for Disney singles. It might be a good way to meet with people um, virtually and then maybe in person in your area. I know Facebook does have a Disney singles group. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, Something else that I looked into for you, and unfortunately they don't have a chapter in New York, is something like an NFFC, a National Fantasy Fan Club. That's a group of Disneyana collectors. They usually meet once a month or once every other month. I know there's one uh, in New Jersey, uh, but there's not one in New York. Then again, that does not stop you from starting your own. You can contact NFFC.org. And look for other things too. You know, things down in the park. There's Magic Meets in Pennsylvania over the summer, which is a great way. A lot of people go there single and solo. Um, but online is probably some of your, your best bets. And I would definitely suggest checking out Facebook and some of the forums. I'm going to sit here and just keep updating my Facebook here while you go, while you go Pay attention, because this next question has, <laughs> has something to do with you. It starts off by saying, Mangello, Lou. Uh, my question has to do with the DVC. I'm not a member of the DVC family, but I've been looking into renting or transferring points to a coworker of mine for a large family trip. The prices seem acceptable, but I'm still leery. Have you ever done this or have run into a situation where somebody you know has? I know that there's a guy who advertises uh, an option, but I've also looked at renting off the forums. Any help would be much appreciated. Thanks. Keep up the good work. That comes from Matt. I also got a a, a very similar questions from Alan and some other people as well. Uh, I personally have. I have rented points from a forum, uh, a member of of somebody's forum um, online a number of years ago, and it worked out very, very well for me. Um, actually, I, I had a problem because it was a hurricane coming. I called her the night before at midnight. I wanted to cancel, push my trip back a week. She took care of that for me. It ended up working out well. That being said, caveat emptor, buyer beware. Um, right. You definitely have to spend your time, do your homework, research not only prices, but the people who are renting to you and for you because they are going to control your trip. They have to book it for you. They've got to make any cancellations, any changes. So it's important that you try and find out from other people what kind of experience they've had with those people. See if there's any feedback. See if there's any reviews. See if you can talk to somebody else that's rented from that, that's rented points from them to see how the experience uh, goes. Yes, I have seen some websites online that do do rentals. I can either recommend or not recommend them because I've never used them. Um, I'm sure if you Google DVC rentals, a lot of those places will come up. But um, I personally had good experiences. I'm sure some people haven't. Again, you've got to be very, very careful um, because that's the trade-off with the money you might save. 
Right. Those are all great points, Lou. I've never done it personally, but I've heard some have been very successful at uh, at, at renting points and, and having their vacations uh, booked that way. So, caveat emptor. There you go. All right. Moving on. This is a long one, Becky. So, stop paying attention and just... No uh, okay, so I can go back to Facebook, right? Okay. <laughs> All right, I'm going to try and go quick. Hey, Lou, just got back from Disney with my family, where I spent eight glorious days. Thanks to your trivia book, Steve Barrett's Hidden Mickeys, and a large helping of magic from some terrific cast members, we had a vacation that couldn't be beat. Quick aside, I love hearing that from people. I love hearing people come back and say, we just had the most awesome vacation. So... We were fortunate enough to have made three trips in a 12-month period, which gave us some time to do what you're always recommending, slow down and appreciate all the details that the Imagineers do so well. I noticed several new things in this trip and wanted to share this particular thing with you. We went to Disney's Animal Kingdom, a park we usually avoid because it's hotter than the surface of the sun. (laughs) Still, (laughs) we braved the heat and tried taking in all the details, and as with many of the parks and hotels, there is a running loop of background music. I noticed some of the stylized music is done in marimbas, flutes, and string instruments, which sounded familiar. And as I started paying attention, I made out that some of the music was things like High Hopes, Feed the Birds, Timey Kangaroon Down, and the theme song from Mr. Ed. So, <laughs> nice. He says, I noticed that all the songs were animal-related. I thought, duh, this is Animal Kingdom. <laughs> of course there should be animal no, music. No. <laughs> Of course, once I made that connection, I really had to smile when I made out Puff the Magic Dragon. <laughs> I guess this was produced before Beastly Kingdom went by the wayside. So, as a master of trivia that you are, do you know what the music loop is I'm talking about? And if so, do you know what other songs are on it? Are there any other mythical creature songs in it? And lastly, is it available for purchase anywhere? Your faithful listener, Paul, also a Jersey guy up in East Windsor. Uh, Paul, it sounds like to me that you're talking about the loop from Camp Mini Mickey area, which I absolutely love. Um, I actually can tell you that I sat there with my little recorder and recorded the whole thing because I like it that much. Um, Great sort of take on some of these classic Disney songs like Bare Necessities, I Just Can't Wait to Be King, Give a Little Whistle, Feed the Birds, Heffalump and Woozles, I Want to Be Like You, The Mickey Mouse Club March, Minnie's Yoo-Hoo, See an elephant fly. Yes, there is a lot of animals in here. There's the walrus and the carpenter, the big bad wolf, tiggers, pink elephants on parade. I'll put a list of all the tracks in the show notes this week. However, I don't know of anywhere that you can buy them commercially on CD. Um, I checked iTunes for you, and I cannot find these tracks on there. Um, So next time you want to enjoy them, unfortunately or fortunately, you're going to have to uh, go back to Disney's Animal Kingdom, brave the heat of the sun, or go off season um, and enjoy as you stroll through Camp Minnie Mickey. Well, I, I learned something new today. <laughs> <laughs> ugly Bug that Ball I, is in there too. I love Ugly uh, Bug Ball. I'm, I'm going to need to go back and just sit back in that area and listen. It, it's been quite a quite a while since I did just you know run back for the safari and the <laughs> Everest. <laughs> oh my god. Now I'm sweating, and I'm not even on the surface of the sun. Anyway, (laughs) moving on. John emails and says, Lou, can you step it up a little bit and produce a daily show? Once a week (laughs) is not enough. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Oh, John, you want to kill me, I see. Anyway, he says, I'm just kidding. I've been unable to locate a book called 2006 Epcot, Exploring Regional Flavors, Marketplace Recipes from Around the World, 
Is there any chance you may know how, where I might be able to purchase this book? Thanks for all you do. Um, John, I did. I looked for you and exploring regional flavors, flavors. That was the theme of the Food and Wine Festival back in 2006. That was obviously a, a cookbook that they sold at that time. I searched eBay for you. I searched completed auction items. I searched some used bookstores and I got nothing. Um, did I you check Amazon? I did not check Amazon. I would check Amazon. Amazon.com may be your friend when you're looking for something that far back if you can't find it on eBay. Well, you know what? Let's check right now. All right. And, I'm gonna... and John, I actually stopped and I looked for you and I've got good news and I've got bad news in that I did go to Amazon and they do have the Epcot Food and Wine Festival 2006 Exploring Regional Flavors by Disney. There was one left. Of course, Becky just bought it, relisted it for twice the price. So now <laughs> Wait you have to spend a minute it. now. I'm over here on Facebook. I don't know where you are. <laughs> I'm kidding. John, yeah, there, there's a couple that are available um, used, so you can definitely check out and do a search on Amazon. Excellent tip, Becky Mankin. You're quite welcome. All right. Carolyn Green it sends the next email. It says, hey, Lou, first of all, big fan of the show. Since I listened to it in my iPod on the car, I actually look forward to my commute to work. Secondly... I've been wondering why in the world Disney did away with the Hunchback of Notre Dame stage show at the park, formerly known as the Disney MGM Studios. Though I wasn't even a huge fan of the Hunchback film, I thought this show was a Broadway-style production that elicited wonder and emotion in a way that only Disney can do. I agree. I know I was not alone, as I just said so, as my family and friends also love the show, and the theater always seemed to be packed. I understand that the space that the show occupied was needed to accommodate the new stunt show, but it's such a shame that this attraction is gone altogether. Why wasn't it just relocated, perhaps to a very appropriate France pavilion in Epcot? Anyway, I'm wondering if other Disney fans miss this show as much as I do, and if you have any insights on why it disappeared. Thank you. That comes from Caroline. Uh, quick Wayback Machine trip, the Hunchback of Notre Dame stage show, obviously based on the film from back in 1996. Um, that was performed over in the old Backlot Theater, which was sort of repurposed recently and closed in, thankfully. Now used as a venue for different special events like Star Wars Weekend. Um, it debuted back in June of 2006. It was actually only supposed to be around for a year or so and then re be replaced by a Hercules show in that same spot. The Hercules show never came to be. They actually did a, a Hercules Zero to Hero victory parade, which, Becky, I'm sure you remember. Um, <laughs> and then it lasted until 2002, actually. And, I, Becky, I don't know if you ever saw it. One of the things I loved was a juggler. There was a guy named Matt the Juggler um, who performed there as well, who, although he's not a, a in the show anymore, obviously, I think you can still find him on the boardwalk. I think really? you can still find Matt oh. the Juggler on the boardwalk. So, oh, I think exactly. I know who you're talking about. Um so yeah, I miss the show too. I love. I actually, I actually enjoy the film, um, and I like the show. You're right. It was great. It was it was wonderful. Had great music, wonderful effects, and and costumes. Um, unfortunately, it was open air, so during the summer it did get hot as the sun, as John used to like to say. Um, why it wasn't repurposed and brought to Epcot at Future World? You know, I don't know. Um, I don't know that. That would have been an interesting thing. Sp space definitely would be one of the issues over there in France. Right, France. because. It Absolutely. That's a not a lot of space to work with over there. And I, I'm thinking they must have done some kind of cost versus demand analysis. And unfortunately, I think the hunchback lost out. Yeah. And I know if, if you ask 
you know, Reflections de France or Hunchback of Notre Dame. You might say Hunchback of Notre Dame. But remember, you don't have to pay a film to run over and over again during the day as opposed to having live actors. So right. um, I think there's a little more longevity. And, and remember, too, France and some of the other pavilions are really sort of meant to be showcasing that nation's culture and its history and its people. Hunchback of Notre Dame probably doesn't do that as well as uh, the Reflection show. So anyway... Tammy Beckler says, hey, Lou, love, love, love your show. And I've been listening for about a year now. I don't remember off the top of my head if this has already been a topic. So here goes. I've been to Disney World only four times and I'm always planning for my next trip. It's a sickness. No, Tammy, that's the way it should be. I'm considering (laughs) staying at Pop Century and notice that there seems to be a large construction area across the waterway behind the resort. Is this an expansion of Pop Century or a whole new future resort? Also, I'm concerned about how many bus stops are at the resort. Is there only one to get area to get on? It looks like it could be a long walk if our room was in the outer reaches. Thanks for all you do. Mm-hmm. Tammy, I, go ahead, Becky. I was going to say, I think she's referring to what is termed as legendary years, that section that's off. If you're looking at the resort to the right of the Pop Century Resort, which um, there have been m- many reports that... It's supposed to end up being like the family suite options uh, that are like the rooms that they have over at All Star Music. Uh, construction had been underway, then it was halted. But um, recent reports from a couple of clients have said that they have started back up again or will soon. Have you heard anything like that? Anything that I can say that I've heard is pure rumor and speculation. Speculation. So I just need to be clear. <laughs> so, uh, okay, got it. So. <laughs> There's one bus stop, of course, at the resort. So if you're concerned about the distance to walk to it, be sure to book um, the, the room category that I think they call the preferred location room. Right. That's a few more dollars per night, but it'll have the advantage of being closer to the bus stop, the pool, and, of course, the main building with the food court. Right. And it, and the view on the map might not might not be as, as far as you think it is, but I, I actually right. think the preferred room is, is worth a little bit extra money. Um, and, and just so you know, like Becky said... That area was is, is was supposed to be called the legendary years. You know, you have the, the classic years now. Some people call them the forgotten years. Uh, they were supposed to cover a theme from the 1900s to the 1940s, be consistent in the way, it you know, current pop century is designed. Um, you know, after 9-11 or so, that's when things kind of were, were, were put to a halt. Um, I personally would love to see, obviously, I would love to see that finished, and I would love to see them as family suites. I yeah. think that would be a really, really good addition, uh, especially to the value line. I sure hope the rumors are correct because I love those rooms over at, at Music, and they are somewhat overlooked over there. Great setup and very affordable. Yeah, absolutely. I've actually not stayed in a family suite, although I've seen pictures and heard reviews from people, and they just love it, and they <clears> find it absolutely worth um, worth the price of the family suite. You know, that that reminds me of something, Lou. I, I, I said the word food court, which we haven't really talked about food at all. <laughs> we just went through a whole bunch of questions and haven't even talked about food. I'm not saying that that was by design. I'm just moving <laughs> forward to, uh, I, to, to the I, last email, to the last email, um, because, and it's not really a question, but um, I, I received this email and I went back and forth with this person and... Uh, a number of weeks ago, I did a segment on the show where we talked about the World Showcase that never was. And uh, well, many of you actually emailed me with ideas 
this one listener asked me to sort of put this out there. So this is not a question, Becky, but I want to I want to get your opinion as to what you think about this idea. And it comes from Steve. Here's another cool forum name, Guantanamiki. So, oh, nice. <laughs> so you can probably have an idea what country he's going to suggest to come into World Showcase. And he said, uh, I know you wanted us to call in and leave a message about this topic. I get a little tongue-tied, so I figured email would be better to go. So I, I'm glad you asked your listeners what World Showcase pavilion we'd like to see in Epcot. Believe it or not, I've thought long and hard about this one pavilion, and I'd love to see Epcot for a very long time, and that would be Cuba at the World Showcase. First, the music would draw visitors with sound of bongos, congas, and horns. I can see a... Sh- Wait a minute. I can see a certain short Italian guy doing the mambo <laughs> with some cabaret dancer a la the <laughs> Tropicana right about now. Can you say Babalu? I missed that when I first read this. I am so off of this 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 question. <laughs> anyway, the architecture is mainly Spanish with red tile roofs and plenty of archways. Replicas of El Moro, the fortress castle, La Cathedral, and the Capitol building be focal points. He goes on to talk about some of the kiosks. And even a cigar roller could be found. How's that on the promenade? A little cigar roller. Of course, let's not forget the food. And uh, I can't, you know what? I can't even try and pronounce some of the things, but I would like to sit down to some of the plates of the things that you described. Uh, I can pronounce flan and a cafe cubano for dessert. After a meal like that, you got to light up a cigar. My idea for an attraction is quite different. You may even think it's a little twisted. It's called Journey to Freedom. The guests are on a raft-type boat that's equipped with some sort of pedaling device at each seat. They float along the river, viewing sites such as Veradero Beach, tobacco and sugar fields, and the Havana skyline, <clears throat> all while listening to the music of Celia Cruz, Perez Prado, and Benny Moore. And here's where he says it gets a little twisted, because the waters suddenly get rougher, and now the guests, he wants the guests to start paddling. And as the ride gets closer to what you think it's going to end, you have to go back and do it all over again. Uh, like he says, told you it was twisted. Tell me what you think. Does it have potential? By the way, don't steal my idea. I have a copy of this email, the date and time. <laughs> Just... uh... Well, kudos to you for a very well thought out um, very description creative. of what the pavilion might be. <laughs> I, I, personally, I would like to see an Australian pavilion. I, I just want to go on record there. That was my question to you. Yep. Uh, definitely, I'm sell very it. Come drawn on, you got 30 to that. Seconds. Sell it to me, huh? Sell it. Sell me the Australia Pavilion, like, like Steve. Cute little koala bear with big brown eyes looking at you. I'm done. <laughs> if, that's, if that's your sales pitch, then then I, you know what? I'm building Egypt and being done with it. So, <laughs> hey, now Egypt. There's that's another. That's a good one. <laughs> think of the pyramid and the Sphinx and the weenie and and. The photo ops, you can kind of do your little bangles, walk like an Egyptian photo op thing. There's a lot of potential. Absolutely. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So thank you, Steve. And a lot of you <laughs> weighed in via emails, too. I'm sorry I couldn't read them all. I still invite you, if you want, to uh, to go ahead and call into the voicemail. So, But Becky Mankin from <laughs> MEI and Mouse Fan Travel, of course, my recommended and preferred and one and only travel provider. Thank you so very much. And now, Becky, the most important part of this segment You've had weeks to come up with it. <laughs> it's time for Becky's goodbye. Oh, Lou. That's Have it. a that's, magical that's day. <laughs> oh, my. Not only is that copyright infringement, but it's awfully oh, weak. Oh, the, the oh, Lou. It's Sorry. My apologies. Weak. No, the Have a Magical Day. Somebody else is already doing okay. it. Okay. So I know. can't do that one. Well, I'll tell you what. Let me work on that. 
Let you know me what? work on that. Let the, listeners, let the listeners work on that. Let the <laughs> listeners work on Becky's sign off because the thank you for having me, Lou. I really appreciate it. It's old. It's old. Yeah, see, <laughs> on, on one of the other shows that I, I did at one time, it was the Keep Moving Forward, but you got that one. So yeah. I'm, I'm kind of at a loss. So yeah, I would appreciate any help. You know what? I spend hours on my intros for you. Put in 30 <laughs> seconds and, and come on, come up with something. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm too busy planning your vacations, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want your vacations planned, shameless plug here, you can visit <laughs> Becky and her team of agents over at mousefantravel.com. As always, Becky, thanks so much. A lot of fun. Thanks so much. It is time once again to announce the winner of last week's Walt Disney World Trivia Contest. Thank you again to everybody who played. Again, you guys did a phenomenal job in getting not only the three questions, but the bonus question correct as well. Let's first go back and look at the three questions I asked last week and their answers. First, I told you that one of my favorite acts in all of Walt Disney World was the Notorious Banjo Brothers... And Bob. And we know that the Notorious Banjo Brothers play Notorious Banjos. And what instrument does Bob play? That is the tuba or a sousaphone. And again, pretty easy to find that one, but hopefully you guys will be a little inspired to go and seek out the brothers, talk to them, and enjoy some of the music they play in and around Frontierland. Number two, what were the names of the boats that used to leave from the now abandoned dock? near the Haunted Mansion queue, and travel the rivers of America. And obviously the attraction that I was looking for was the Mike Fink keelboats. And the two boats were the Bertha May and the Gully Wumper. And the third question was, in Walt Disney, One Man's Dream, over at Disney's Hollywood Studios, there is a display case with a small figure that could be animated used to help design the first audio-animatronic figures. I wanted to know who the model was for that figure and what was that figure known as. And the model was Buddy Ebsen. You might know him as Jed Clampett from the Beverly Hillbillies. He was actually a very well-known vaudeville star, and the little figure was known as the Dancing Man. And as always, I also asked you a bonus question that if you get it right, you get an additional prize, although you don't need to get it right in order to be entered to win. And this week's bonus question was, Ye old Christmas Shop. I did a DSI Disney scene investigation of it a few months ago in Liberty Square. And I said that it's occupied, according to story, by three tenants, all of whom have a different trade or a different service. I wanted to know what the name of each of those tenants was and what was their profession. First, there was Ichabod Crane, who gave music lessons. There was Woodwright, who did uh, fine wood carving and toy making and carpentry. And finally, there was Keppel, the Taylor's family. And Keppel, as you know, makes reference to Keppel Disney. Now, the prizes that the winner will get this week include a 2009 Walt Disney World Trivia Page-A-Day Calendar, an audio guide to Main Street USA on CD, and a WDW radio show button. And 
for getting the bonus question this right. Uh, timing is everything because I'm going through a lot of my collection as I'm starting to pack it up and found that I had a couple of extras of a few things in there, uh, including some books as I'm emptying the bookshelves. So this week, I'm going to give you a copy of Kara Goldsberry's Luxury Guide to Walt Disney World. And uh, for future weeks and future bonus questions, who knows what else I might find in the collection. So this week's winner from Louisville, Kentucky is Scott Osborne. Congratulations, Scott. I have your address and I will get your prize package out to you right away. Now, on to this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Contest. And you guys have been getting these correct week after week after week. And just when I think I start making it a little bit harder, you keep getting them right week after week after week. So this week, we're going to look backwards as we go forward. And I'm going to ask you three questions about Walt Disney World in the past. Here we go. First question. What was the name of the now-extinct cocktail lounge and bar at the Disney MGM Studios, which was accessible only by stairs or elevator? Number two. What daytime show in Walt Disney World featured performers and effects on land, on water, and in the air, and included a quote-unquote carousel of color? And question number three, where in the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World could you once find live animals? And I don't mean the birds, the ducks, the squirrels, the chipmunks and cats that run around. I mean live animals as part of an attraction. And here's your bonus question. And I'm going to break it up a little bit this week. Because if you like the radio tune intros and sound clips at the beginning of the show, great. Because tell me now, where in the world have you heard this? Just look at these fabulous flight suits and plush pastels. So there you go. To recap, number one, the now extinct cocktail lounge and bar at the Disney MGM Studios, accessible only by stairs or elevator. Number two, the daytime show in Walt Disney World that included performers and effects on land, on the water, in the air, and included the carousel of color. And number three, where in the Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World could you once find live animals that were part of an attraction? And the bonus question, you have to identify where in the world you heard that sound clip. You have until 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Saving Standard Time on Saturday, March 14th, 2009, to email your answer to lou at wdwradio.com. One entry per person per email, please. We will have one winner who will be drawn randomly from all of the correct entries. Remember, you don't need to get the bonus question right in order to be entered. So it's more important to be correct than it is to be first. As always, good luck and have fun. That's all the time we have this week. Thank you again for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Thanks, as always, to my guests, without whom the show would not be possible, Chuck Lionberger, DisneyDaddy.blogspot.com, and Becky Mankin from MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. Of 
course, you can visit them at mousefantravel.com. Speaking of which, don't forget about the Everest Adventurers Weekend from September 24th through the 27th, 2009. We will be renting out the now-closed Adventurers Club for a private dinner and show on Thursday, September 24th. We have special package rates, including three-night stay, tickets to the dinner and the show, and much, much more. You can find the link for more information at wdwradio.com or on the homepage of Mouse Fan Travel. You can also go back, listen to show number 108, where we talk about the event in detail. Hope you guys can join us. Very, very limited number of tickets available. It is already starting to book up, so if you're interested, definitely come by, get a free, no-obligation quote. It is going to be the start of what I think is going to be a very, very exciting weekend. Friday starts Epcot's International Food and Wine Festival. Saturday is the Expedition Everest Challenge. Really hope you can join us for the Everest Adventurers Weekend. Speaking of meets and getting together, if you are going to be in Walt Disney World on Saturday, March 21st, please come by at 2 p.m. and join us for our next Meet of the Month in Walt Disney World. We are going to be gathering in Epcot's World Showcase in France near the bridge heading towards the United Kingdom for a very casual meetup of listeners. If you're late, that's okay. We're usually there for a couple of hours. It's the beginning of Epcot's Flower and Garden Festival, so it's a great time to be in World Showcase. Who knows, maybe when we're done, we'll wander around, take a look at some of the flowers on the promenade. If you are planning on coming by, no RSVP is required, but I'd appreciate you letting me know. You can either post in the forums, which I'll link to in this week's show notes, or on Facebook. We have an event set up there. Again, I'll put that link in this week's show notes as well. Uh, also, speaking of getting together, big thanks to all of you. I mean, we had almost a, almost 200 at one point who joined me for WDW Radio Live this past Friday, March 6th. Again, we started at 8. We ran. It was another new record for over seven hours. We were there till about 3 o'clock in the morning. Had a really, really good time uh, with the interactive video and chat. So thanks so much to all of you who either spent... Uh, very, very late on Friday night or early on Saturday, depending on the, where in the world you were from. We had listeners from, uh, from really all over, from the UK, from Japan. So a great time. I will definitely, definitely do this again. I will definitely post when the next schedule one is going to be. And again, who knows, I might just sort of randomly decide to do these really unannounced. It could be during the middle of the day. It could be at night. Uh, if you want to find out when those are going to take place, definitely come by. Follow me on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash Lou for my instant updates. Also, come by, be my friend on Facebook, and join the WDW Radio Show group. Again, all those links right on the right-hand side of the all-new WDW Radio homepage and website. Again, we launched that last week. Thank you so much to all of you for your patience, for your great feedback. Again, DisneyWorldTrivia.com, now consolidated into WDW Radio, an all-new look and feel, lots of new features. Please come by, check it out, join the forums. It's fun. It's free. I hope you enjoy it. And as always, please feel free to email me with anything you have for the show, a question, a comment, a suggestion, uh, anything at all, to lou at wdwradio.com. Or if you want to be heard on the air, you can call into the toll-free voicemail line at 888-703-2171. Also, quick thanks to everybody who sent us some great feedback about Issue 3 of Celebrations Magazine. It's been hitting mailboxes on the past week or so. Glad you're all enjoying that. Don't forget, too, we are still looking for contributors, whether it's an article, a letter to the editor, 
photos, suggestions, anything at all. And we're also looking for your help. So if you want to contribute your time, your talent, we're looking for assistance in a lot of different areas, including sales and marketing and customer service, graphics design, distribution, lots more. If you're interested in helping out, please email me again, lou at wdwradio.com. Thanks, as always, to my partners and sponsors. Most of all, thanks to you for coming by, taking the time, and listening to the show, visiting the forums, sending me emails. You know I really, really do appreciate it. It was great chatting with so many of you last week on WDW Radio Live. I'm looking forward to meeting so many of you at the next Meet of the Month, hopefully even more of you down at the Everest Adventures Weekend. And of course, if you like the show, please just help spread the word. Thank you for tuning in. So until next time, remember, always keep moving forward. Have a great week, everybody. See ya! Hi, Lou. This is Mitch Brandon. I'm in the middle of the 5K for the Princess Half Marathon. We're on the backside of the World Showcase. Wonderful morning. Everyone's fabulous. The Princess is out. Great event. I uh, wish you could have ran it. We'll see you in September Expedition Everest. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Emily Collins from Lenore City, Tennessee. My mommy, Mary Jo, listens to your show all the time. My brother, Wyatt, has decided that you need a new name. Here he is. I decided your new name should be Moo Mongelio. We have determined this name is more kid-friendly. So, bye, Moo Mongelio! Hey, Lou, it's Josh from Michigan. Uh, I am only 12 years old, but I am still a huge, what you call, Disney geek. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to comment on, I don't know if it was from one of your past shows or if the thought just occurred to me, but was obviously the Disney cast members. I mean, they always are very nice to you, because I was waiting for the Share a Dream Come True parade one day, and a photo pass photographer came up to me, and he started talking to me and making some jokes and telling me stuff about Disney, and uh, it was just really cool. And um, one of the things is, uh, well... My teacher, um, one of her friends used to be a Disney cast member, and she told me that one day he was in the corridors underground, and he saw a door, and he thought it was a break room, and when he opened it up, it turns out he was on the ride, it's a small world, as a boat was passing by. So he just acted like nothing was happened and just waved to the people. So I thought that was pretty funny. And, um, ooh, I love what you do on your show and everything that you talk about and the rumors and I love the music that you play so uh, thank you for doing all that you do and goodbye Hey Lou, this is Craig Wheeler, just finished listening to your um, section on Shades of Green and one thing I think we need to add to this is that veterans can also get into Shades of Green. During the months of January and September, veterans um, who have been honorably discharged and have a DD214 um, can get in, and rates start at 125 and go through $275. And again, that's January through September. Uh, the website for that is www.shadesofgreenvets.org. Thanks for doing the great show, Lou. Bye. Hey, Lou. Jim here, band on the run on the message board. And uh, I wanted to comment a little bit on your Tomorrowland segment. And 
specifically, uh, Tim had mentioned that he was a big fan of the, uh, you know, Alien Encounter, and, and, and personally for myself, um, I always kind of felt that Tomorrowland went downhill after uh, much of what Walt Disney had looked to put forward. Um, you know, uh, you know, his dedication was really more about the future of tomorrow, making sure that uh, things were looking good. And I feel that we've lost a lot of that with the stitch elements and things like that. I'd like to see Tomorrowland return more to uh, elements of the promise of tomorrow and the uh, the, the use of technology uh, to make things better, rather than uh, you know excess technologies looking to rip people off and things like that, et cetera. Um, yeah, so with that, otherwise, uh, you know, thanks for keeping the show up. Um, much appreciated. And uh, look forward to the next show. Bye. Hi, Lou. This is Marissa from Moxville, North Carolina. My husband, Chris, and I were listening to your show uh, last week where you interviewed the uh, Disney Moms panel. And uh, both of us uh, were pretty amused uh, when uh, the moms uh, said they didn't know uh, what somebody was asking when they were asking where in the world they can make water. Uh, both of us recognize that immediately. Our grandmothers used to say that quite often. It's a polite way of asking, where's the bathroom? <laughs> so uh, the person was asking them, where can they go to the potty? Uh, so moms, I hope you guys are listening, and you can uh, <laughs> give that person the answer they were looking for. Lou, we uh, love your show and uh, everything you do. We wish we could come uh, party with you at the Adventurers Club uh, this fall, but uh, I'm not sure that's in the budget right now. But uh, we'll just keep on listening and uh, living through uh, your research trips. Thanks, Lou. Have a great day. Bye. Hey, Lou. It's Kevin calling from Rhode Island. I'm Pasarino 6 on the forums. I just got to tell you that when I was listening to the most recent podcast, I almost veered off the road on my way home from work from laughing so hard because when you were talking with the moms panel and they mentioned that someone had emailed them asking how where you could make water in Disney World. I, I almost died when I heard it. Um, I spent some time in Europe over this past summer, and across the pond, the expression making water refers to using the bathroom. So when someone says, where can I go to make water, it means they need to use the bathroom. So if you want to send that off to your friends at the mom panel, feel free, but i got to tell you, it was just too funny to listen to. Anyway, great job. Uh, with everything you do, I can't wait till every Sunday night when I can download the podcast. It really helps my commute to work. Uh, keep up the great work. Talk to you soon. Hey, Lou. It's Mike from Chicago. Um, wanted to call you from the parks uh, this past week that we were there, the 22nd through 28th of February. Unfortunately, since it was our five-month-old first trip, I was a little bit busy making sure he took in everything, the colors and the movement, and the colors and the movement... Oh, and the colors and the movement, um, because that was all he was really interested in, which was great. We, I listened to your podcast uh, two episodes ago, I believe, where you mentioned the PhotoPass deal, the 99.95 CD, if you prepaid, totally came in handy. It was one less thing I had to worry about. They get so many amazing pictures of um, my son with the characters that I wouldn't have gotten, and nine, ten, eleven pictures of my son with Jeannie outside of Morocco that I would have taken the one posed picture and maybe the original, hey, you're a big blue creature I've never seen before. And that would have been it. So it was absolutely wonderful. 
best deal I think Disney has going. Thank you for the heads up on that. So thanks again for a great show, Lou. Really enjoy the podcast uh, each week. I am a new listener. I am going back and listening to some old uh, casts as I can, and they are just amazing, and hopefully they will tide me over till our next trip come November. So thanks again. Have a great day. Hey, Lou. This is Jessica calling from South Florida. I just got done listening to your podcast about uh, the TTA. I wanted to make a little reference on that with uh, Wally and the TTA. If you notice on the TTA, on the right-hand side, you'll see the girl who has the thing on top of her head doing her hair and makeup. If you look in Wally, they have the same exact thing. I thought that was pretty cool. As soon as I saw it, I thought of you. So I just wanted to say hi and let you know. Talk to you later, Lou. Bye.